You're listening to a podcast of Business News Background. A weekly roundup of the big stories here in Western Australia. Brought to you by Business News and Lush Digital. Welcome to another edition of Business News Background and our weekly podcast looking at uh, business here in Western Australia. I'm James Lush from Lush Digital Media and uh, we have a three-pronged attack today, which is uh, very good. Uh, Mark Panel, Head of Content at The Paper, uh, Mark Byer, the editor, and Shana Crispin, who has done a feature which doesn't feature alcohol, which is a rarity, although we're going to squeeze in some form of uh, alcoholic mention, I think, at some point, but that's later on in the podcast. First of all, Mark Byer, let's start with the stories from this week, including uh, something which is uh, hot off the press, and uh, a Tony Polly story. Yeah, look, Tony Polly was the guy that set up Aquila Resources. Uh, they had a big iron ore project up in the Pilbara. Um, that company's recently been taken over um, by uh, Bow Steel from China, amongst others. And Tony Polly has walked away with a very tidy 400 odd million dollars from the sale of his shares in Aquila. So he's got the problem. Where do I put all that money? Um, we've got a breaking story that um, he's been looking at the Port Geograph uh, canal project just north of Bustleton. Uh, for people that go down that way, um, this has been a mess for years. Um, they built some uh, rock groins out into the ocean and there's been a build-up of noxious seaweed year after year. Uh, the government's recently spent 20-odd million dollars um, trying to fix it up. Um, and if that works, um, then there's potential there for that project to sort of crank up again and for further stages mm-hmm. to be developed. And Tony Polly has certainly got the money. Um, he'll be looking for a new project. So that would be fascinating if, if that deal gets closed. Um, he's having a look at it. Um, and it'd be really interesting to see if uh, someone like him moved into that space. So at the moment he's buying what? Seaweed <laughs> with potential. Yeah, there's canals there and there are houses and there are lots of grumpy yeah. people. Oh, perfect. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and someone with money to sort of fix the solution. I mean, is it something, do you think, that would work for him? Um, oh, look, um, you know, he's been he's an accountant turned minor. Mm. Um, this is different. It's certainly different. Um, you know, it's certainly a big opportunity. Um, and it's something with, um, you know, I think you'd look at it as something with a bit of a bit of a punt. Yes. You know, yes. if, if everything comes together, yes. you could get some fantastic returns. You know, the original developers lost their money. Uh, for them, it was a disaster. But if they can sort out this seaweed problem, which, as I say, the government's been spending money to try and fix it, um, it could turn into uh, a very successful development. Well, he could probably afford to lose a million or two, I would have thought, with uh, that sort of windfall that he's got. Uh, I don't know about a million or two, but I I was just thinking it's interesting seeing, you know, you had Twiggy Forest is bought into farms or, you know, pastoral land, and uh, we've seen, I mean, even the mineral resources guys have been looking at buying ports, a bit more linked to what they do, but, you know, it's it's a natural setting um, when you made a, a fortune out of a volatile sector like mining to say, let's try and go into something that's a bit more stable and a, diff- mm-hmm. and a different level of risk. I'm not sure that Port Geograph is that, but, you know, it's just interesting. It is. Another story from this week uh, was the government agreeing to pay more for coal. Um, yeah. What was the reasoning behind this? Yeah, well, look, um, Premier Coal, which is owned by a Chinese group, um, they're one of the two big coal miners down at Collie, um, 
they struck a deal uh, back in about 2006 with the then Labor government where they became the, the only supplier of coal um, to what was then the State Energy Commission, which became Verve, which became Synergy. Um, but their view is, we're losing money. We can't go on like this. If we don't get more money for our coal, we're going to shut down the business. That was the uh, threat that they had hanging over the government. So there's been a lot of argy-bargy on this, and uh, they appear to have come to a sort of a compromise arrangement um, where Synergy, as the government's electricity producer, will pay more so that Premier can stay in business and effectively keep the lights on. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's what's, in a worst-case scenario, mm. at risk here. Now... A lot of journalists have been chasing the government on this because they've not been very forthcoming about the de- extra? about the details of yeah. this arrangement. So that's been very frustrating for people. We don't really know exactly what's involved in the deal, but bottom line, you know, we're paying you know fifteen yeah. or sixteen million dollars extra for our coal. Okay. Let's um, turn our attention to next week and uh, the business feature uh, that is going to be hot amongst that is something that Shana Crispin's been looking at, uh, a a small business feature, looking at small business. And um, what was your take here? What were you looking at in particular? Well, this was really just an opportunity for us to touch base with the sector and see what's going on and how things have been changing. And just to set the scene a little bit, to put it in context, let me rattle off some figures. So small business accounts for 97% of all businesses in WA, 22% of total economic output in 2012 to 13, and 70% of private of the private sector workforce. So it's not insignificant. The main thing I think historically in, in chatting to people in the sector is that small businesses really struggled to feel like they've had their voices heard, especially when the resources boom has been going on and they're up against those large companies which have a lot of influence. But it seems like that's sort of changing a little bit now. In 2011, um, the Commissioner of Small Business was appointed, David Eaton, so I had a good chat with him and he said himself that he thought that appointment of his position was really an indication that the government thought that it needed to put some focus on small business. Also, in the state budget this year, um, the government backed, well, I would say backed down on payroll tax, decided to increase the threshold, albeit by a minimal amount, to $800,000, but small business is seeing that as somewhat of a win. Um, and also there's been indications that um, penalty rates, they may look at addressing those. So things seem to be improving, but the same old struggles are there. They're struggling to get a cohesive voice and get their message across. Mm-hmm. Penalty rates, when you talk to people about the issues in the sector, what's going on, what's really affecting them, that's the huge thing. And they just really need some help out there. Why don't they have a cohesive voice? Why aren't there enough, like the likes of a CCI, why isn't there enough sort of trumping from them? Well, CCI and the likes of the Small Business Development Commission do a good job, from what I understand. They're, through their members, they seem to sort of canvas small businesses and, and see what the issues are. But just by the nature of the small business sector, it's so diverse. And one of the main things that comes out in chatting to people, all of those small business owners are so intent on working within their business, they don't mm-hmm. have time to be lobbyists and, yeah. and talk about the issues. Uh, and what about the consensus on confidence, you know? There's obviously a lot of being reported about confidence this week. What what about the small business sector? How do they feel? Everyone's saying it's really difficult. Um, They're really struggling and the cost of regulatory burden is really Mm. what they're they're putting a lot of that struggle down. Well, maybe not a lot, but that's certainly an issue which contributes to it. But when you think about that, it's also... The issues that are affecting small business are issues that are affecting every business. Every business. 
a lot of the small businesses feeding off uh, the big business. So if big business is struggling, Mark, then small businesses yeah, are going to be too. And look, while reading through what Shana's um, been writing, uh, I, I, what I found really interesting was that one thing that they're trying, the government's trying to do is get you know, they talk about red tape and the like in in, um, in government, but there's also like an attitudinal problem there. You know, that bureaucracy is just not made to deal with small business. People need to get things done. It's a culture change mm. needed. And I just think, gee, that's a really big thing to embark on. I think that's more than, uh, you know, one term of government kind of stuff, if it, if it can be done. And I also can't help thinking that no matter how much you try to change that side of the coin, small business is really... The, it's the startup land. Mm. I mean, some small business will be pedet, perpetually small businesses. Some of them are family business. Some of them are just people have bought a job. But a lot of them are the big businesses of the future. Yeah. And they're based on sometimes new ideas, people who've never been in business before. And as a result, there's a high level of failure. And unfortunately, people tend when they fail sometimes mm. or often to blame other people. So there is, I think no matter how much yeah, you fix point. one side of the coin, you're always going to have this small business frustration that's just every, the nature every business was a small business at some point that's right uh, and that's right. I'm amazed at that statistic 97% is staggering and you, you, you'd think if that small voice could come together and make one large yeah. voice it, it would be quite interesting wouldn't it mm. Thank you for that. That's uh, the feature in the paper. That's from uh, Monday. Um, another story, uh, Mark Panel, you've been looking at this. This is uh, a BHP story from up north and uh, the way they're obviously having to look at cutting costs. They're pretty good at uh, being a low-cost producer, but they have other issues. And there's obviously yeah. the port is one of the major ones. Yeah, look, so one of our reporters, just uh, Saskia Pickles, has just been up uh, in the Pilbara with travelling with BHP, I think. This, by way of background, BHP uh, recently basically came out and said it was going to become the lowest cost producer in WA. It was going to cost cut its costs or is on the way with to cutting its costs by 25%. And if you look at the, the cost curve, so to speak, BHP and Rio are both at the bottom of that already. So they're just... And we've seen a lot of commentary around that. Even the Premier's jumped in and sort of had a go at those big miners for basically pushing into an oversupply mode and therefore driving the co- mm-hmm. the price down and therefore impacting other more high-cost providers. I think BHP is keen to um, uh, put out that it's not just posturing, that it's actually actually doing this, and I think that's what this was about. And, I, look, they've gone through and basically detailed all the areas where they've made all these savings. They've, you know, they've got 29% more efficiency in their excavators, so they've been able to retire old equipment. They're getting uh, four, I think, no, sorry, two tonnes per um, rail uh, car, two extra tonnes on each, which is about, I think, about 5% or so. Mm. So, you know, that's thousands and thousands of cars. Mm. They're, mm. they're putting another 16 cars on every train and you know, they're above. They were always, so always long. It, it's amazing. You know, I mean, they are. Yeah. People, people always go on about um, mining being just digging it up, but it's not. It's a factory. It's a factory producing stuff, yes, just yes. like anything else. And you go and you look at these magical um, images of, you know, yes. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, you know, Willy Wonkers and all these things going on. This is actually the real thing up there. Mm. And, and if you just can tweak every little part of a that factory bit. a little yeah. bit, you can have a great outcome. Why would they want to share some of those um, ways that they've made those savings? Well, I think they they want to say they're not just beating their chest. They're okay. actually doing They're trying to tell their investors, I think, as much as anything. Yeah. And I think they're also back in the game of, you know, we are doing this, watch out, beware. Mm. Um, but I think there's another point to this. They've got, at the end of that production line, they've got to stick it on a ship. 
and at the moment their port capacity, what the quota they've got, doesn't quite meet mm. the amount that they'll be able to produce if they actually produce it. And they're trying to point out that they are going to produce this, and therefore they'll probably need some port space. Okay. So who's going to give it to them? So I think that's a lot of the, the posturing that's going on right okay. now. The next stage. Clever, interesting tactic. Um, another story uh, in the paper next week is. Uh, the backdoor listings, of which we've been reporting quite a few in the last few months. Yeah. Why is there more of a move to backdoor listing? Look, backdoor listings, reverse takeovers are really more, much more common in tougher markets because you have listed shells, so ASX listed companies that are really not functioning properly and sometimes are defunct. Um, but it's it, but they, they're still a, a, an entity that can be used and the people who own it are desperate to find something else. So if I've got a good idea, a good business, uh, it's cheaper to go to an existing entity and, and adapt it to my needs than to float or list on my own and I probably can't get... I've got an existing bunch of shareholders there which I probably couldn't get in the open market today. So that's generally the theory. Um, and uh, But what's been difficult with, uh, with backdoor listing, which is very common in WA n- n- kind of all the time, but, but especially in this market, is uh, there are some rules around the share price that, that, that you have to have. And the ASX is not keen on what they call penny dreadfuls. It doesn't like the one and two and four mm-hmm. cent shares, mm-hmm. and it wants, it wants companies to list at 20 cents. So in the past, they've required companies that want to go into a backdoor listing phase, if they're sitting there at two cent shares, they have to consolidate those. So if I own some shares, I've got to consolidate that back. So instead of having 10 shares, I end up with one. And even though it shouldn't make any difference, lots of investors don't like that. And lots of investors in WA are used to two and four cent shares. So the the uh, ASX has backed off a bit on that and said, with the backdoor listings, we'll allow you to consolidate, to, uh, to, to go to market without consolidating to that degree. They won't accept anything below two cent shares. So you can consolidate to two cents. Um, and uh, look, the guys who operate in that area say it's quite a significant step forward. Mm. And in a difficult market, this is, you know... Some business th- yeah, at least. Yeah, you know, I mean, in effect, this is... This is a, a regulator yeah. giving a reprieve to people in a difficult time. And, you yes. know, I mean, that's, what, that's smart. I so yeah, are we going to, as a result of that, see a lot more of this? Uh, look, I suspect we're going to see um, probably more innovative ones, different okay. ones. I think, you know, you're always going to get the traditional operators, but it just makes it, yeah, I suppose it makes it easier. And uh, presumably if it makes it easier, you will see more. Yeah, you know? my bad. And, and look, the context here is that there is many, many small companies that had been focused on mineral exploration. Yes, who now who fancy something else. Who don't have a project. <laughs> they fancy. tried something and it didn't work. Yeah. Well, they've got a bit of money in the bank. They've got a few shareholders there. And they're but, saying, but where is, is our future? And on the other side, all sorts of people coming up with, whether it's a biotech or some yeah, sort but, of but medical research. Weird? I, you, 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 as a shareholder, you, you know, you're investing in this company that you know, digs something up out of the ground. And suddenly, a week later, they tell you, actually, we don't really like that side of the business anymore. We now do something else. We make widgets and uh, very technological widgets instead. As a shareholder, didn't you buy into one idea? And now you're being told that, actually, you're something else altogether. Yeah, look, that's a concern that gets raised from time to time. Uh, But I think when you see the evolution of these businesses, you see an exploration business that is dying a slow death. Mm. And 
you know, it's not as though they're walking away from something lucrative. Yeah. Um, you know, they could keep on tipping money into the ground and end up with zero. But what do shareholders bank. do? Do they normally say, okay, well, well, we'll back you on this, go with this new new direction? Or do they yes. turn around and say, well, it, they, do, it, they does, do. it does need to be approved by shareholders. They yeah. do need to have a, a meeting and there's, there's normally good disclosure around it. But the other part as well, Shareholders investing in, a, in an explorer are taking a punt yes. on, on a risky venture. It and, might just be a different... investing different. in a biotech yeah. or an app developer is yeah. also taking a punt. Fair enough. They're backing entrepreneurial Fair West enough. Perth people just in something a little bit different. And, and I think you also have to acknowledge with this that the asset, once the idea has failed, mm. the asset is the listed company. It costs, you know, maybe a million bucks to list a company. Yes. So if you can if you can do that for much less, yes. then I as the shareholder, I the one asset I've got to sell yeah. is this listed is listed entity. So I may as well get what I can get out of it. I would just like to see the correct wording. You know, we don't fancy what we're doing at the moment. We but we do fancy this new <laughs> new toy in the shop. Or, and we're gonna focus we're our attention on it. We're just bloody desperate. We need to find <laughs> or something. that as well. That'd be even better. Uh, let's just end with uh, the forty under forty, which um, yeah. I know we're quite a way away from, but uh, it's always a, a great night and it's great to hear some of these local stories, Mark. Well, it, yeah, we are a long way away from it because it's next year, but at the moment we're in that nomination period, yeah. so we're looking we're looking for, for people, and, and we use that as an opportunity to look back and say, well, what's happened? And, uh, you know, I think one of, a really interesting guy that um, we're going to profile this week is Daniel Stepini, who's uh, started with a, with a, with a partner, the, a business, The Classroom, and, uh, and very recently, uh, that was uh, they won, like, best small bar in the country or whatever. So I'm going to actually let Shana talk about it because she yeah. wrote that story. Yeah, and, so this uh, is the alcohol story we knew we'd get to in the end. And, and Shana, what, is this because you frequented or is it because you just done the research? I've been to the classroom a couple of times, but it's come up a lot when I've covered small bars. So they oh, were okay. they were one of the, not one of the first, but within the first year or so that the small bar licence came into effect. And these guys, Daniel and his directors or co-founders of the classroom, are really innovative in that space. I mean, I'm not sure many people realise, but the small bar class of licence has a requirement for it to have a certain theme. A small bar can't just be a, small a bar. bar. A small bar. It I has to have a theme. What, like what? So, uh, well, like, for instance, the classroom. You walk in there, it's got little classroom chairs, it's got okay. the little toys that you play with at school and all that sort of thing. <laughs> so, it. yeah, they've been really successful with that venture, considering it's in North Perth on, mm. and, like, somewhere that there's nothing else around mm. it. Um, and now they've started, as Mark said, this, they've actually launched a crowdfunding campaign to open a new restaurant, Lucky Chan's Noodle Bar in Northbridge, which is um, it's going to be a late-night venue and they're sort of drumming out people to get involved. And it's sort of a marketing ploy as okay. well. You know, it's by no means going to cover much of the cost, I imagine. Yeah, yeah. But they've got all these all these people involved and pitching money in to have their name written on a wall and, and a bar stool and all that sort of thing. That's what your money gets you. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Very so interesting. It's Crispin Hall <laughs> bar stool. That's see. your yeah. brick. Well, I was wanting to have the, the private hire of Lucky Chance, but I'm not quite sure I've got the funds for that. Well, now you've mentioned it, you might. <laughs> um, thank you, Shana. Thank you, Mark and Mark. Very good indeed. And uh, another edition of Business News Background, uh, same time next week. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to a podcast of Business News Background, brought to you by Business News and Lush Digital. For more information, go to the website businessnews.com.au.